Hey, I have Thaddeus Gunn, the writer, on the other end of my computer, and we are talking about his work. And actually, we have history together. We both worked at a place together many years ago, and and our paths intertwined throughout our lives. But welcome, Thaddeus. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Well, first of all, I, I love your work. Um, and I follow you, you know, I, we follow each other on social media and I've always just kind of enjoyed, you know, the trials and tribulations that you post and then that you write about. (laughs) Um, what I'm curious to know about is have you written all your life or did it start at a certain point that you can pinpoint or? Yeah. Um, actually my dad, um, was a really interesting guy and he wrote a lot because he was a minister. So he had to write a sermon every week. And so, you know, that influenced me. I mean, seeing him at the writing desk all the time, but the thing that was the biggest influence was he also had a gas station (laughs) and yeah, I love it because as an Episcopal priest, you can, you can have an outside job. So he, and he was one of the only guys in Detroit to have metric tools. And so therefore he would trade out work on foreign cars. Um, and most of the people who were driving foreign cars and, and, and bikes and stuff were actors and musicians and authors and things like that. That's and cool. uh, yeah, so he, he would trade out for theater tickets. And when I was very young, when I was uh, like in third grade, I somehow made the connection between what was going on on stage and the fact that someone had written that. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, my imagination just went wild and I went home and I wrote my first play. It was very, very short and uh, <clears throat> had no idea that it it uh, was was almost completely congruent with the story of Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> so so here I am in, in third grade and uh, my teacher takes me out into the hallway and says, uh, did you did you actually write this? And I was like, oh, my God, this is like the first time I've ever been in trouble in school. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And and then she explained to me that it's it's like, do you know Good King Wenceslas? And then was like, we would like to produce this as our Christmas special for our That's class. awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. So, so like, You're like, wait a actually, minute. Yeah, yeah. This this conversation did not go the direction I thought it was going to. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, they actually, like, made cardboard sets and everything. And it, it, it was just mind-blowing. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. And... So, uh, yeah, so I've been writing like since then, you know, that's so cool since eight years of age. Yeah. Dang. So, and, and in terms of your writing voice, you write literary nonfiction, which again, I, it just draws me in because you're writing about real events in your life, but you're doing it in such a way that is, I don't know, it, it really draws me in. And I feel like I'm sitting across from you in some dingy bar somewhere and you're <laughs> telling me these stories and I'm just listening, slack-jawed, wide-eyed, wasted, going, what the fuck? <laughs> but I love them. So um, how did your voice develop in terms of, you know, a genre direction or was it organic or was it, is this just, this is me and this is how I write? And Well, um, the interesting thing is I didn't start out, obviously I started out writing fiction when I was <laughs> eight, eight years old and uh and I always wanted to do, um, you know, things that were dramatized, either uh, plays or or films. Uh-huh. And I also wanted to write science fiction. I mean, I man, I read so much science fiction when I was a kid. So like Ray Bradbury was a huge influence, um, cool. as well as you know the the uh, the guys who wrote in the Cthulhu mythos, like August Derleth and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, of course. Um, but yeah, lots of science fiction writers like Theodore Sturgeon. Um, and uh, Harlan Ellison and so on. I, uh-huh. I just couldn't get enough of those guys. And Clifford Simak. If, you, if you're if you a science fiction fan and you haven't read any Clifford Simak, you have not lived. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you got to go find that guy. Um, he has one of my favorite quotes and that it was a publisher said to him, you know, he, you only write about losers. And he goes, I like losers. And I was like, <laughs> I like losers too. <laughs> Fuck yeah. You know? Hell yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't uh, until, let's see. So I went to USC film school for filmic writing and um, and I had the good fortune to get a, some kind of impromptu interview with um, Stephen Cannell and um, Joe Swirling. 
at uh, Stephen Cannell Productions. And if, you know, people out there listening don't remember Stephen Cannell Productions, you might remember the little uh, end credit where he's at his typewriter and he pulls the paper out of it and it swirls into a C and then goes yeah. to Cannell Productions. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so like in the 70s and 80s, like he was Mr. TV. It's like uh, Rockford Files, A-Team, like everything else. And so I had sent them, I don't know why, I don't know what prompted me to do this. My little 20-year-old brain prompted me to send these guys some of my samples of my um, fiction, my short writing. And and uh, and they called me in for a meeting and they said, we, you know, we really don't have anything to, to tell you other than just to give you encouragement and tell you to keep going. And at the time I was in, incredibly broke. So I was like, you know, I really need a job. <laughs> so they... <laughs> So they sent me over to uh, Pete Roth at ABC, who was at the time the um, vice president in charge of uh, current programming. And he uh, sat me down and said, tell me something about yourself. And I was like, OK, well, where do you want me to start? And he goes, how about the day you were born? <laughs> and then he, he, he interviewed me, you know, for two and a half hours. And, you know, I was in complete awe and never took my eyes off of him because I mean, you know, I'm with Peter yeah. Ross. And uh, at the end of the interview, he goes, well, I haven't read any of the stuff that, that Steve and Joe sent over. As you can see, I have a few things ahead of you. And at this point, he gestured and like every flat surface in his office is covered, you know, like five deep with 120 page scripts. And uh, I was, he was like, but what, what show do you like? And I was like, well, I like Moonlighting. Um, which was Sybil Shepard and uh, Bruce Willis on ABC yeah. back then. And uh, he and he said, okay, here's the deal. Go home and have a moonlighting script for me um, in the next two weeks. And oh you can gosh. have access to anything. You can, you know, you just call the pages. They will bring you um, video of past shows. You can have show Bibles. You can have whatever you want. Um, just go home and have, have it for me in two weeks. And I was like, sweet. And so we're going down the escalator and he goes, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm a student at USC. And he said, drop out. And I, said, <laughs> and I said, why? And he goes, why are you going to school to learn how to do what you already know how to do? I mean, come on. It's like it, the school's not cheap. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I dropped out. Um, oh and, and, and I dropped it. Funny thing is I dropped out at roughly the same time that two of my far more famous classmates, there were 14 people in my class. And I dropped out at, at roughly the same time that, Judd Apatow and oh, Macy man. Gray dropped out. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I know. That's so, good like, company. You know, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Company. Well, I mean, you know, catch the tail For of drop my outs. comet. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so long story short, I, you know, I went home and, and, uh, and just to test this theory, I called the pages like a couple of times at 2 a.m. Just to see if they would drive all the way out to the valley, right? You know, from Century City. Oh, my God. And they did. That's and hilarious. Like, oh. I know it's like so much power. Um, but the, the, the way that it wound up was I did write a script for them. Um, they said, you have everything down. You've got the voices down. You get the pacing down, you know, the scene lengths. It's like, you know, the show inside and out. The problem is that um, the, the, the line of the show is that Dave and Maddie get together and Dave and Maddie are just never going to get together. So we can't use your script. However, we could use you to, you know, revise certain things and so on and so forth. And um, so what I wound up doing for a little while was uh, doing revisions, basically remotely, which is, you know, again, pages coming uh, out to Hollywood or whatever, or uh -huh. North Hollywood or Studio City, wherever I was living and picking, you know, dropping stuff off. And I'd revise a couple of pages and send it back. And, um, you know, obviously it's the 1980s. So it was a much more like analog system. Um <clears throat> And uh, the person that I was married to at the time was not pleased with this at all and was uh, upset by the fact that I wasn't getting more rich and famous faster. <laughs> and so, and so, Understandably. And so we moved to Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. <laughs> I, I failed her. So. Um, uh, so in 1987, we just pulled up stakes and moved to Seattle. Oh, that was very it. cool. But uh, yeah, and I just kind of like left everything behind. And the interesting thing was that I got a call from, uh, oh, tangential side note. Um, yeah. So people will go, hey, so I went and looked up, you know, Moonlighting and Stingray and all these other shows, you know, that you, you did stuff on and, and nobody um, 
you know, nobody, there's nothing on IMDb. And I was like, <laughs> okay, two things. People do that all the time in Hollywood. People work for no credit right. at all. As a matter of fact, there's an author by the name of Matt Johnson, who's one of my favorites. And he works on everything and has no credit. He's had 15 books optioned and none of them have made it to the screen. Oh, He's man. in the writer's room on uh, like a ton of huge Netflix shows, has no credit, still makes a very handsome living um, from Hollywood, uh, uncredited. And I think he said, he, I think he said, uh, geez, he was just at AWP, the Association of Writers and Writing Programs uh, conference that's here, uh -huh. uh, that was here last year. And he said, I think he makes five times as much from Hollywood that he does as a professor at University of Oregon, something Holy like crap. that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, and, and entirely uncredited. Um, so anyway, so I moved up here. Um, I was, at the time, um, working as a, a radio producer. This is after I was done being on the air. And I was um, working on this, this project to get Dan Savage on the air, which in 1991 was damn near impossible. That's um, crazy. But <laughs> yeah, and I got, a, I got a call from, I got a call from Steve Cannell. <laughs> I got a call from Steve Cannell. I mean, I was in the book, you know, uh -huh. again, for people listening who are 25 and under phone books used to be a thing. What's that again? Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's paper? big paper, paper things that you could open up and find people's <laughs> numbers. Um, or there was an operator that you could call, which you oh, can't my God. Do anymore. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just called and he was like, yeah, I just wanted to know what happened to you, which was just the absolute sweetest thing because I mean, that is cool. He's, he's Stephen Cannell. He doesn't have to call my ass in Seattle, you know? And, um, yeah, I said, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm not dead. Uh, I'm working <laughs> on some interesting stuff, but that's my situation. He was like, okay, cool. You know, I just wanted to check in. And, uh, yeah, th that was like one of the nicest, coolest, sweetest things ever. Um, and then he, he passed away, Gosh, just a few years ago, I think five or six years ago, something like that. Oh man! But um, yeah, that, so that was my my whole well, almost my whole Hollywood story. I sold a, a screenplay and an IP um, to a company called Imagi Entertainment uh, back in two thousand nine, and I was working with a producer um, who I was working with at Adam Films. Uh, we met in nineteen ninety nine, and uh, his name's Eric Calderon. Um, we've been friends for quite some time. Um, but he uh, was a producer of Afro Samurai and some Transformers stuff, I believe, and a bunch of other stuff that you'd recognize. But cool. um, that was actually, you know, you're asking me, the original question was about my voice and so on. And th yeah. this piece was, it was science fiction. Um, and, it, you know, even though it got optioned, it never made it to the screen because Imagi Entertainment failed. Um, they'd been around for 30 years and they put out Astro Boy and Astro Boy had huge expectations, um, but it came at the same time as an economic downturn, which flattened the company. Mm. So uh, there's a producer somewhere who bought all their assets, which means that they may still own the rights to the thing I sold or, or may not. I, you know, I have no idea. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to get that property back and, and try to re rework it and, you know, resell it, I'd certainly do that. Um, cool. So, that's that's my whole screenwriting background, and I didn't actually start writing uh, literary nonfiction until, well, I started going to workshops, uh, writing workshops in 2011, and I started writing literary nonfiction in 2013. So I've only okay. been doing it for ten oh, years. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had incredibly good fortune uh, on my first literary nonfiction piece was which is a piece called slapstick and i wrote it in uh dinty w moore's uh nonfiction workshop at the at, at the kenyan writers workshop and it was a one take i mean it was the the exercise was he's the prompt was um write about something you can't remember <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like oh that's easy awesome. peasy. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, so, you know, the first line is like, I don't remember every beating mom gave us. I just remember she named, we named them after all-star wrestling moves. And that's where, that's where it started going. And uh, so Dinty and uh, Sarah Einstein at the time were the editors of Brevity, which is a, a very high profile uh, literary journal for uh, flash nonfiction. And they said, uh, 
we'd really like to publish a piece. <laughs> That's so and cool. It's like, I, I know. So, so it got into brevity. Um, and then, uh, and then it got a, a pushcart prize, a pushcart special mention. And uh, I mean, for the uninitiated, the only comparison I have, I don't know, it's not as big as a Pulitzer, but it's, uh, it's, it's for the small presses, right? Um, so it's kind of like the Pulitzer for the, for the very small presses and there's like very no cool. money involved. It's of just course. recognition. So then after, so then after that, um, I got a letter from Pearson education saying they wanted to publish it, uh, in one of their textbooks. And then, um, and now it's, it's taught to in, uh, that and one other essay of mine, um, are taught in, uh, comparative lit and composition classes in the U S Canada and, and in uh, Western Europe. So, um, yeah, so I had incredibly good fortune on my first publication. It was That's just super cool. Insane. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And so, I mean, again, with that kind of encouragement, like I just kept writing very, very short form, uh, lit nonfiction for the most part. I mean, I, I write some longer stuff too, but yeah, for the most part, I, what I really wanted to perfect was, was, flash length, uh, literary nonfiction and, and memoir. So that's the bulk of my work. That's very cool. Yeah. So that was yeah. kind of the, that, that first piece was kind of the impetus for kind of going in that direction. Would you say, I mean, in terms of, yeah, literary nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is like, I'm a huge fan of poetry. Um, I mean, I don't write any myself. If you ask my wife, she'll say I'm a liar, but, um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I really don't. And I, I fan out so hard on poetry, uh, you know, I, I'm such a fanboy of poetry that at writing conferences, I avoid the poets that I like because I, I'm afraid I'm just going to run up to them and just like drool on myself That's... and, you know, make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, but the thing that I love about poetry is the economy of language. And yeah. that's that's, you know, Flash does that as well. So it's like it's writing this line between being prose and poetry like it can almost be all of it could almost be a prose poem, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Very yeah. cool. Oh, well, I, I love it. Yeah. And slapstick. Yeah. I love that piece. I just, again, it, it's yeah. That style for some reason just really draws me in. It feels intimate. It feels, um, like I said, I mean, on the one hand, I feel like I'm sitting across from you in a bar. And then on the other hand, I feel like I'm kind of a sidekick, like riding along, you know, <laughs> on these adventures so it, it's just really engaging that way for me to read your work so oh, yeah cool. that's my yeah response. yeah that's my reaction yeah. to it yeah yeah so like well, that's that's good to hear <laughs> yeah well good i mean yeah it's i i think it's cool too that you got such positive feedback uh early on and that and you got you were in the minds of these people so you made an impression um mm -hmm. on these people and i think that's so cool um mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, walk me through kind of after that, after that first piece and, and you writing, you, you just wanted to kind of explore that for a while. And then. Yeah, um, it was uh, because I had a lot of stories to tell. I mean, like yeah. anybody like you know me in person and, and uh, you know, I always have like the, the craziest goddamn stories to tell. About. I love it. I love that, it. Something that happened to me. So I was like, okay, well, why don't I just do this? Why don't I just like, tell the stories, you know, that I have yeah. to tell, um, that I've told a million times. And now that I can put in, in a, in a, you know, literary format. So yeah, after that, um, well, what happened was, uh, it was, that was really hard on my life actually, because, uh, you know, and, and my mental health, because writing about, uh, my history of, of childhood abuse and that it, you know, in my family, um, you know, my parents were both alive at the time and I was still in contact with all of my siblings, which I'm not now. And my parents have passed away. But, uh, you know, it was funny. I had this kind of psychological backlash where I felt like, oh, my God, I've told family secrets. You know, I, I've I've said horrible things about, you know, the people who are supposed to take care of me. Yeah. And um, so that took, you know, that took some time to get over. And even now, like right now, um, I was asked by an editor at the uh University of Michigan, their literary journal, the Michigan Quarterly Review, um, to write an essay. And um, yeah, and it's due on the 31st. What day is it? <laughs> Get 25th? To work. Jesus. Oh, God. Okay. Can we wrap this up? Um, no, no. Uh, 
but you know again it's like another one of those stories that that comes from um the history of abuse and yeah. uh you know and 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 I'm dealing with it a lot better than I have in the past, but it's still, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult. And I, I was telling my wife last night, I was saying, I cannot wait <laughs> to be done with this essay. So yeah. I can just go write some fucking nonfiction, some science fiction. I don't care <laughs> recipes. I don't give a shit. You know, it's like, I've done so much of this now and it's, it never, it never gets any easier. I mean, well, writing in general never yeah. gets any easier, but. Well, that is interesting to me though. And I mean, I don't want to, you know, pry or anything like that. But I think a lot of people who are writing about their lives end up doing that, right? And and remembering things that aren't so great about their loved ones and and their families. And but I, but it's your life, you know, mm -hmm. that you're writing about. So I just find it interesting, and it, it must be tough to uh, to walk that line, right? Like, well, I want to tell this story, but I know that you know. And if again, like you know, your siblings are alive, and maybe at the time your parents were still alive, so. There's got to be some yeah. a bunch of mixed feelings. Yeah, and there's a lot like in the craft literature around this for people who do you know what I do and write memoir, it. and yeah. it's always the same thing. And that is that if you are, <laughs> the way I paraphrase it to myself is tell the truth and don't be mean because yeah. the truth is already mean enough. Yeah, and the you know the if you're telling the truth as as to your absolute best of your memory, then you're not doing anything wrong. Cool. Um, so it doesn't matter if somebody comes back and says, well, I remember it differently. Well, everybody remembers things differently. Yeah. There's no absolute commonality on memory. Right. So yeah, I just try to stay absolutely true to that. And, and also, you know, remember that, um, whenever I'm writing about either, <laughs> you know, difficult people, um, if I write difficult people as villains, they're just not interesting. You right. Know? People who have done damage to you, the damage that they did to you is not a hundred percent of who they are. Um, but that's you know that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge yeah. to you know at on one side say yes, this is what happened and it was horrible, but it is not the entirety of the story. It's it's it, you know it was it it was a hard lesson to learn, and I learned it through writing that all this stuff lives in the same damn box. It's not on a yeah. balance. It's not on a scale. It's just there i mean yeah. like uh this essay that i'm working on right now is about my oldest brother um who i don't have contact with anymore and you know he did some really really awful stuff to me when oh, i was growing man. up but on the same t by the same token he was the guy that got me you know into uh reading and and writing science fiction um you know he was the one that sparked my interest in it and would read me stories from it and things like that uh he, you know he you know, I really admired him, you know, yeah. I admired him and, you know, he, you know, he, I was going to say he was my bully, but he wasn't my bully. He tortured me, you know, oh, I mean, genuinely he tortured me. I say like, he's one of the reasons that I have complex PTSD. Oh, so, um, yeah. So like having to bring that up and, and, and make, make the situation whole, you know, not yeah. to say he was this horrible person who did these right. terrible things to me and I'm a complete victim and blah, 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 you know, because, um, you know, and, and this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler for, for the essay that's coming out, but I, I don't care months before it comes out anyway. So one of the things that, um, you know, that Tom did to me that was traumatizing actually saved my life in a certain circumstance where hmm. I was threatened. Um, yeah, I guess I can unspoiler it. Uh, but I mean, that's, yeah, that was, you know, in retrospect, I, I figured out that, yes, the, the trauma response and that was a new term to me <laughs> right? Um, when I started writing this essay. But the trauma response that I developed from what my brother did to me was a thing that actually saved my life. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, do you find it cathartic in any way to write about this stuff? Or, or is it just this process that you slog through and then maybe you find some, you know, some catharsis or some you know, not closure, I guess, but just, you know what I mean? Like, is there comfort to some degree? I'm writing about this. And like you said, because I think that's the fascinating part of all of that is it, exactly what you said. It's not black and white. It's like this person wasn't just a complete monster that fell out of the sky. He was my brother. There were these, you know, whatever positives there were, you know, there were there with, with the negatives. So, mm -hmm. but is there any kind of cathartic 
feeling you get from writing about this stuff or is it just <laughs> i was gonna say my favorite part is when it gets published but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i mean and the the process is is always um process is always difficult and the process is always different for every single piece for yeah. me anyway um i don't have any set process uh but my favorite part of it is just when i when i get to this spot where i know yes that's what i wanted to say and now i can send this out and you know because because then you get into the next part of it which is like shit loads of rejection yeah um but i feel fortunate to have worked on this long enough and be you know in possession of my craft enough to to feel good about when something's finished even if somebody else comes along and goes well you know um it, it doesn't bother me you know That's it awesome. really doesn't bother me it's like this is exactly what i what i wanted to say in the fashion that i wanted to say it and then I send it out and it gets like zillions of rejections, which is yeah. no reflection on like how good or bad it is. Right. Um, but yeah, that that moment, that moment there is my favorite. Yeah. Well, I love I love that you're at that place as an artist, too, where you feel like, look, I'm in charge of my craft. I know how to express myself in this way. And exactly. It's like the the, the rejection is no reflection on uh, the quality or or the validity of what I'm creating as an artist, you know, and so yeah, and you know, I think that's it, the place it, to be. Yeah, I I think it, you know it's interesting that just what flashed what just flashed across my mind um, is that I think that in our society in America, the rejection has it carries a different weight than it does elsewhere, um, because you know what I hear a lot in America. And yes, I am, as a friend of mine called me, performatively European. Uh, <laughs> I saw that online. I love that. I loved all those little blurbs or whatever you call them now. I love yeah. them all. My yeah. God. All my, my pull quotes. Uh, <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, is in America, it's like the prevailing idea is you aren't shit unless you're Stephen King, right? I know. Unless you sell millions yeah, of books. Exactly. There's, there's, no dis there's no discussion about, you know, form or, or the quality of the work or the ideas that are being presented or how this, you know, informs our culture in some way. There's yep. none of that. Yep. It's just like, have I, <laughs> my favorite dick move thing to say is when somebody, somebody says, well, I have read any of your work. And I'm like, only if you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a dick move at all, man. That's like, who are you? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Have you read any of my shit? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So, I so that means that, you know, the rejection, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not, you know, I published it, but I didn't make any money or it's just getting rejected and nobody knows who I am. You know, those, I think that, you know, extra layer of crap uh, is, is a specifically, american malady um doesn't make it any easier for any writers you know so just do my you, five bucks no but do well don't get me started on the whole america thing because it's pervasive in our culture that art the arts is just considered you know people talk about it oh i, I can't live without music i can't it's like bullshit like you said, everything's everything's bottom line driven. Everything's driven by who can make the most money. And that's no way to gauge art or its value in a culture or society. And I so I totally agree with you on that. And and that's got to be frustrating. But it sounds like you're in a good place in terms of just feeling like you were saying, like you're in charge of your craft. You you you're okay with it. And you know the you know the drill. This isn't your first rodeo. It's like I'm gonna write this shit, I'm gonna send it out there, and I'm gonna get a bunch of rejections, but that's not going to daunt me like it might have when I was starting out or, and so I think that's yeah. cool. And to your point, do you, do you kind of try to get your stuff out internationally and, and how has that worked if you have tried to do that? If, yeah, you know, I, I have asked around and tried to figure out how to, uh, by the way, yeah. if anyone listening to this podcast is from Edition Gallimard, please call me at one, two Oh six. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that, that would be my absolute. Dream. Amen. See, this, Edition Gallimard is a French publisher um, and they do like, <laughs> you know, anybody French listening to this is going going to say, no, they don't. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, compared to American publishers, like yeah. they, they publish like a 70 page book by Annie Arnaud, you know, yeah. like 70 pages. And yeah. here I am 
you know, I'm taking all, all this stuff that I write that's really short that, you know, I love the economy of word of words. And so that's what I try to emulate. And I keep getting told, you know, it's like, well, you have to turn this into a full length. It's got to be 250 pages, you know, because no editor is going to look at it, no publisher is going to look at it. And I'm like, that is, that is so contra like what I do. Yeah. Um, so that's my that's my biggest um my biggest artistic frustration right now. And I'm trying to figure out um, how to get around that, how yeah. to do something different, you know? Um, yeah. Um, you know, because right now um, actually I'm going to, I have a uh, call after this, but uh, what it seems to me, it would live best as like my collected work as a, as a memoir would be a graphic novel um, of the oh, sort cool. where, yeah, where every story has a different artist, you know. Um, I think uh, Harvey Pekar um, yeah. did that with American Splendor. Um, there was a big, long series. Most of it was drawn by Robert Crumb, but then in the later editions, there were other artists brought on. So I'm talking to a friend of mine um, from way back in the day, and by way back in the day, I mean the 1990s, um, <laughs> who who is an artist that I that I did. Uh, a comic strip with once the only comic strip I've ever done in my life. And it was very, very short lived. Um, but hopefully, you know, something will come of that. I've never written a book proposal for a graphic novel. So this is net new for me starting like in an hour. Well, when you um, said that so we'll though, I think your stuff lends itself to that. I think that would be super cool. I could, I mean, it's very visual writing to me. It's like, I think that's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. Thank you. That's very encouraging because, um, you know, the more I sit here with it and it's been edited once into mm -hmm. long form and even at its longest form, it's I, I think I'm only up to 120 pages or something like that. And in a lot of the stories, it's like, yeah, if I stretch this, it it pulls it out of that, you know, that that rhythm that it has. Yeah. And it also for me, it feels like I'm flogging it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going and looking for stuff and I'm padding it in, in ways that it doesn't exist in my memory. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's good to try that and realize, no, this is, you know, because exactly like we, we see it all the time in everything, right? Like in music or literature, it's like, well, yeah, that's great. But, you know, can you, can you give us 20 more pages? It's like, well, no. Or like we watch a show, right? And it's like, why are, why are you doing another, a, a, an 11th season? You've already said everything yes. you need to say, right? So I think it's cool that you, are aware of that as a writer and what you're producing. It's like, no, this is what I had to say. And this is as much as it took to say it, you know? And so anything yeah. more is just going to, it's going to be bullshit. So yeah. You know, yeah. I love yeah. that. I yeah. Love that. The, the, I mean, like for instance, like <laughs> going back to what I call my hit single, uh, <laughs> the slapstick, <laughs> right? Slapstick yeah. is, was, was built on a meter. Um, and, you know, I had this idea in the back of my head because j just previous to going to the um, the writing workshop where I wrote that, I was talking to a friend about, you know, what were the mean little games that we used to play, you know, uh, on each other. And, you know, open your uh, close, no, open your mouth and close your eyes and you shall receive a big surprise. Right. <laughs> they all have that kind of meter to them, you know, like. Oh, right, right, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like 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 uh, schoolyard taunts and things like that. And so, but da 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 da, but da 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 da, but da 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 was stuck in my head when I oh, did that's that. So cool. And so it just came up as soon as the you know he said write about something you can't remember. And then so if you read that piece, it starts on that meter, but da 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 da, da 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 da, and ends on da 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 da. Right. I love that. Um, yeah, and and to but to take that and stretch it in some way, right? And right, and then turn it into like a the twelve inch remix. Or whatever, <laughs> you know. Just, well, again, it flies in the face of yeah. It flies in the face of your intent. I mean, it's cool. You had a thoughtful, you know, you were you were given this inspiration, and you thought of it was a very thoughtful way in which you you chose to approach it. And I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. And again, like you know, you and I have both worked in the corporate world and shit too. It's like I'm a designer. It's like, hey, you know, you have these assholes over your shoulder going, yeah, that's great, but can you make the button a ton bigger, like like three times <laughs> yeah, bigger? Right. I don't think the user is going to see it. You know, so it's the same thing. It's like, and that's why as, as you know, as I get old too, it's it's kind of liberating to just. I hate gatekeepers. I hate naysayers. It's like, you know what? We're all going to be, you know, for me, I'm going to be dead sooner than later. So it's like, do what you want to do, do it your way. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, 
it's not easy, but you know, my favorite people are the ones that stuck to their guns and just, you know, this is what I do. This is who I am. You know, these people told me to put on this outfit and all this other bullshit. It's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do, this is me. I'm going to do me and let the chips fall where they may. So I totally dig that. Yeah. I totally dig that. Yeah. 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 I feel the same way. I feel like, you know, I could hit death with a rock from where I'm standing. Right. So dude, you and me both, man, not a rock. I mean, yeah, a couple steps and I'm there. (laughs) And you know, and it's trite, but it's so true. And the older you get, the more you realize it because you're obviously just closer to that fucking end. And, and, and Mm -hmm. it is, it is liberating though for me in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, I feel like the guy, I forget the character, but the guy in office space where, you know, it's, you know, he's meeting with the two bobs and it's like, he doesn't give a fuck. It's like, I don't give a shit. Right. What are you going to do? Fire me? Who cares? You know? And so, yeah, I am just drawn to that. I'm drawn to people like that. I'm drawn to things like that. So, yeah, that's another thing I, I, I've i always liked about you, too, is you you always seemed that way to me, like just be kind of marching to your own drummer. And uh, and anyway, I always like that. Thanks. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, there there are so many. um well, a couple of t- off the top of my head, a couple of writers who didn't get nearly enough notice. Uh, they're both poets. One's uh, Bill Knott. So if you find any Bill Knott, uh, he's okay. absolutely wonderful. And if if you um, were uh, injured or disfigured in a literature class in high school and are afraid of poetry, Bill Knott is a <laughs> Bill Knott's a great place to start. And also uh, John Engman, um, okay. who's absolutely cool. yeah, rain salesman is one. But you know. Both both of those guys were like, yeah, fuck it, no, I'm doing it my way, and yeah, and didn't get wide notice, but have been uh, such inspirations for other writers, myself included. You know? Yeah, and that's so. what I love about people like that is they will surface, they will surface to people who care, and and it will become mm-hmm. inspiration for them, and 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 that's to me that's the coolest validation of your art is not necessarily that you're widely known or you got a ton of money and you're really famous, but you know, 20 years after you're dead, this person happens upon your work and you're like, fuck, this is killer. This is great. And it, it inspires me to do something or it could be unrelated, but it's just I'm enjoying this person's work. I mean, I've come across that so many times and it's like, yeah, but it's it's always fun. It's always inspirational. And it's and I guess it should be um, inspirational to people who are out there just slogging away. You know, it's like, look, you know, chances are you're not going to be famous chances are you're not going to be rich but you know your your validation down the line is going to come you know yeah in yeah, different forms it, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and um you know it really it really helped me to take the you know the money equation out of it um uh i know i wrote this on facebook but um i, I was in edinburgh recently and um <laughs> had this wonderful time in a in a pub in in Edinburgh called uh, Kilderkin. It's down at the, the quiet end of the Royal Mile. If you ever go to um, Edinburgh, I highly recommend going. Cool. Um, okay. Everybody who's listening at Cameron's in Glasgow, I'm going to give you a shout out in a minute. So just calm down. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, so uh, one of the guys working behind the bar there um, had been, you know, was an actor mm-hmm. and had, ha- had been playing dim in a stage production of a clockwork orange. Now it is absolutely brilliant to think that you can actually make a living in Scotland, playing regional theater, playing dim in a clockwork orange. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's just amazing. You can't do that in the United States. No. And uh, I was like, my God, what did you, why aren't you doing this as well? My mom came to see the show, (laughs) 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 you know, and if you've seen a clockwork orange, it's it's pretty rough. Oh Uh, yeah. And, uh, and she said, you know, I, I think you can make a more respectable living, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that's why he's pulling pints. And, and I said, you know, I don't write because it makes money. I write because it makes life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. Look at where I'm at. You know, my writing actually got me here. And he was like, tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. It's, yeah, um, I mean, it just it it just sounds like a little epigram or whatever, but you know, it's it, it's absolutely true. It's added it's, once I forgot and just like erased the money equation or the fame equation from my mind and like started looking purely at what it did for my life. Um, yeah. Then it was like you know, 
a, a value beyond dang shit anything you know i love that really and it's hard to get to that because like you're saying we were talking about earlier about america and americans i mean we're just so inundated and, and indoctrinated into this you know corporate bean counter bullshit that it affects us. I mean, literally from the day we're born, we're, we're taught to be consumers. We're taught to, you know, this is how it works. Capitalism is number one. And so everything is filtered through that lens. Right. But the arts mm -hmm. shouldn't be ever filtered mm -hmm. through that lens. You know, you can't compare artists. You can't do all this other bullshit. It's like, it's, it's this creative endeavor that should not be beholden to um, money, you know, or fame mm -hmm. for, for its survival, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it serves yeah. a totally different purpose than that. Like you like you said, and like like I understand, like people who understand it and what it does provide to people. Um yeah, it's it's antithetical to like, oh yeah, well, how much, you know, that's a great story, but can you add five pages and just all of that crap? Yeah. Anyway. Um uh I was talking to um yeah, I'm totally name dropping Brian Lux. He's a uh he's an agent at CAA um and is a friend of mine now. Um, I met him at a writing workshop in France and uh, I was, he's, he's, you know, Brian Eno's agent and was oh, Iggy Pop's cool. agent. He's the agent for Imagine Dragons and uh, he was uh, Shania Twain's agent. And um, anyway, so it's like, he's been doing it for God, more than 30 years. So he's, he's really way up there. And CAA is like a very, very big deal yeah. on its own. Um, but I was talking to him about a friend of mine, uh, who's in a band who has, you know, absolutely fantastic voice and like what, you know, she should do or whatever. And he, I, he, he said some things that made the most sense to me. He said, you know, is she, is she able to perform? Does she have gigs? Yes, she has gigs. Is she, you know, tight with her band? Is she writing music? Is she, you know, in her community of musicians? Is she, you know, doing all of these things? And I said, yes, 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 yes. And he said, then she is having a great fulfilling life as an artist that's all you have to remember yeah. that's it you know the the every famous person out there is an edge case is an absolute edge case yeah. compared to yep. everything else that's going on in the in the world of art and music and painting and everything yeah so i was like yes that is an excellent point you know yeah yeah once 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 again you know once you get out of that hypnosis of like oh this isn't making any money so it's not worth anything then um it suddenly becomes the greatest thing ever yeah <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, and just what you're saying, exactly, because I remember as a young person, I've been in bands my whole life and all that other crap. But, you know, my my young brain is like the definition of success is like a shit ton of money, a couple mm -hmm. castles around the world, you know, <laughs> great cars, you know, which is fucking ridiculous. And then as you get older, you're, you're, you're like, you know, I would just be happy if I could make a living being a musician. Mm -hmm. Right. That means yeah. like. What's the mean, what's the mean income for a person in my region? I would be happy to just make that and, and be a musician full time. That's success, yeah. right? Or yeah. even, or even maybe now as I'm getting older, maybe just a side hustle, maybe, you know, cause maybe just doing gigs on the side or whatever, but keeping that alive. But exactly. It's jettisoning that mindset is so freeing. And it, it also just, um, like you say, it's, it's so much more rewarding and fulfilling and fun to do mm -hmm. without that baggage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, one of my favorite quotes is from, uh, again, a science fiction writer. Um, uh, oh my God, I cannot believe I am slipping out his Ted Chang. Oh, there we go. Oh my God. I recovered. Uh, Ted, <laughs> Ted Chang. Um, so he was, uh, the guy that wrote, uh, the short story that arrival was based on, oh. um, you know, the, the, the octopus type things come from outer space and yeah. they learn to read their language. Um, but he's my favorite kind of science fiction writer. Every single one of his stories is different and they're all just um, exploring an amazing new, you know, phenomena, world technology, whatever, you know, situation. Yeah. And he's still a technical writer at Microsoft. And, and yeah, I know, and he was being, and, and this guy is like widely published has all kinds of yeah. know, awards is absolutely brilliant. And I think one of the things that enables him to be, you know, Ted Chang, um, Ted, if you're listening, you can just call and correct me on any of this stuff, I'm, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to make you sound really good. Uh, I think one of the things that, that allows him that freedom to do, you know, these one-off fantastic 
science fiction stories is because he's not a franchise and he has none of that shit to fulfill. Yeah. And he's never going to give up his day job. Um, my favorite quote of his is I write very short things infrequently and seldom submit them. That has been the secret to my success. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. I know. Oh my God. That's funny. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's the flip side. I mean, if you have a day job that you can tolerate and and it, it's not soul sucking, then or even I guess if, if you have a tolerance for that, that's cool. And yeah, and, and I see, I totally see that too. I mean, I totally see all of these sides. But yeah, I I just have such a, a you know the arts in this country is just given short shrift, and and it's so frustrating. Not yeah. only as an artist, but just as a patron of the arts. You know, it's like yeah, but, but anyway, yeah. We could flog that dead horse. I, I, I heard this. Yeah, I, I heard the. I heard this quote that I that I can't get out of my mind, and uh, it was um, all symphony orchestras are cover bands. I was like, Holy shit! Holy shit! They are smackers. Come on! I know jukebox for the rich. They were tribute bands before tribute bands were a thing, right? right. Oh my god, that's funny. I love that. I love that. It makes me feel better about being in a U2 tribute band. I'll, I can dig that. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, I love that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember. But you you, you put a, a Vonnegut um, quote online that said something like, you know, don't expect to make money through art, but it's what makes life bearable, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I, that, I love that quote because, I, again, you know, we've been kind of, that's a thread through our conversation, but... I think it's so true. And and again, you know, unfortunately, I think we as beings, some people when they're young are wiser than others, but I'm, I was definitely, I'm still a ding dong, but I'm becoming, you know, a little more enlightened and a little more informed as I get older. And, and um, yeah, that quote just totally resonated with me, you know, like, wow. but yeah, of course it does. That's yeah. <laughs> doesn't that, that like, could be its only purpose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's fine, yeah. man. Yeah, and and Vonnegut is one of the people, uh, one of those writers who made me want to be a writer. I read um, uh, Breakfast of Champions when I was in fourth grade, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is possible! <laughs> you yeah. can write books like this. This is amazing." Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been watching him on you on just you know feeds uh, on panel discussions and stuff. He was so he was such a thoughtful, smart guy. Like, yeah, and I just love people like that too that are just. You know, you read their stuff and you're like, you're impressed, but the, the person behind it is just this interesting, smart, you know, thoughtful person and, and cutting to the chase too, in a very, you know, articulate mm -hmm. and thoughtful way. But yeah, I totally yeah. hear you. Well, what is, um, so I, I totally dig the idea of the graphic novel. I hope you do. <laughs> yeah. That, man. And it's actually, it's, um, it's, it, it was kind of spawned from an idea that was uh recommended to me um by the same guy the same producer that um i sold uh the thing to amaji entertainment with um he said you know your work really lends itself to an animated anthology and so i'd like to do both of those things i'd like to yeah. do you know a graphic novel with my stuff and an animated anthology i'm actually working on a pitch deck for the animated anthology um right now that's awesome um, so you know i mean Hopefully that's how it'll live because that's, I mean, really in my heart, I feel like those are the only two other um, mediums that will do the thing that I want to do, you know, have the, the economy of words and, you know, all of that stuff that I, that I really like and, and love to emulate and love to work on and find a challenge, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, one of the things that um, another thing that inspired me um, was, I, what got me into poetry and I, you know, this is not all that long ago, probably 15 years ago. Um, I read a haiku by Kobayashi Issa. Previous to that, I didn't think I liked poetry at all. I was like, I don't, you know, if it's not, you know, Robert service or, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, something like that. And it doesn't rhyme. I'm not going to like it. Um, but it, it was the haiku it is a dewdrop world. Surely it is. And yet, and I went, hold the phone. What just happened? <laughs> How long has this been going on? And why has no one told me about this? And how is this happening? And it was like, well, you know, 18th century 
poet named Kobayashi Issa. And that was written on the occasion of the death of his fifth child. He had no children that survived. Oh, wow. And then I learned something else that's really wild about haiku um, that, that makes me love it even more. And I was actually just torturing myself with a, trying to write a haiku a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, to the point where I got up at three o'clock in the morning and like wrote, worked on <laughs> three lines, worked on three lines for five hours something insane and i still didn't finish it i still didn't finish it so um uh haiku is not just 575 as we as we think of it in the west haiku has to have a reference to buddhist philosophy has to have a reference to the season and the second uh, the last line reverse reverses the first two so the um you know, to, to do a little craft lecture here, a little, <laughs> little yeah, yeah. literature lecture is if, when you look at um, it is a dewdrop world. Surely it is. And yet. So the brilliant thing about it is a dewdrop world is that it's Buddhist philosophy because, you know, the, the world is mutable and, and transient, frangible. Um, it is a dewdrop world is also brilliant because he put the season in there. Dewdrop refers to spring. It is also brilliant on a whole different level because he's writing about a child who died yeah <laughs> this transient dewdrop all that taken care of in the first line damn surely it is okay now now my man has learned the blues changes and forgotten them <laughs> and reinvented the blues right <laughs> so so he's like surely it is he just like repeats the first line and yet and the weight of that you know the that you, i i feel the weight instead of like oh it's all transient and mutable and all this stuff it's like but the weight of his grief is all in that last line right and and uh just absolutely brilliant uh yeah i'm getting goosebumps on my legs. well talk about um, economy of words i mean this is right up your alley yeah so i mean yeah like, who's, yeah that's so that's amazing yeah. that's heavy yeah. i like that i love yeah. that so it, i was in you know i was in uh as i said i was in scotland recently and i was um at <clears throat> my ancestry in Scotland goes back to like before language. Um, so is that a, a cairn, uh, what they call a burial cairn out there um, that were left by the Bronze Age peoples that I'm descended from. And this one was Coromoni Cairn um, outside of Inverness. And um, I, I had a, a, you know, a really profound experience there. Um, it was just amazing for me. And so, yes, of course, I'm going to write a haiku about this. So I tortured myself for five hours. <laughs> It'll come. It'll come. Oh God, I I hope so. Oh man, yeah. Well, Thaddeus, man, it's been great to talk to you, man. And I'd love to do it. Yeah, again. I'd love to yeah. do it over beers in a dank uh, tavern somewhere. So oh, maybe, you bet. Maybe yeah. someday. All right. Dank well, dank tavern is my sweet spot. <laughs> well, as I said, I love your work, and I'm going to keep following you, and um, I can't wait to see other manifestations like we talked about today and um thanks so much for for chatting with me today and and yeah let's keep in touch bud yeah absolutely thanks so much for having me on i uh, this was really fun awesome me too man 